QPR came in, they'd just been taken over by Tony Fernandez, and uh, my missus was pregnant with my first uh, child, Cassius, and I wanted security, and they offered me more money than I was on at Newcastle, and the four-year deal, and at that point, I made a financial decision to sign for QPR. Uh, it's the only financial decision I've, I've, I've made. Um, it's the only move I ever made based on finance, and, you know, if I'm honest, you know, I did, I did regret doing it. I shouldn't have left Newcastle to go to QPR because you've seen the four-year plan. I mean, yeah. I walked into the back end of the four-year plan, so it was a fucking shambles from, from the start. But again, being me, I'm like, okay, it's, it's not great. Um, and as football clubs do, they do lots of things to get you to sign. You know, they do everything they can when, when they want you. Um, and then when you get in the building, all the things they promised you to start changing um, levels of importance. So... I was given a lot of promises from Neil Warnock, the manager, Tony Fernandez, Phil Beard, and QPR as a football club about their operating procedures. And now I've come from Newcastle and the Premier League model. And, and you can see in the four-year plan, theirs is clearly not geared towards that. You know, they don't own their own training ground. The facilities aren't fantastic. Loads and loads of things in terms of the infrastructure of a club that they were asking me to come in and give them advice on so they could get themselves to the level of the clubs I'd played at. So I was happy to do that. Um, and when I got there, they decided that Neil Warnock decided that that was all just a marketing spin to get me to sign for the club, and that because I'd signed for the club, that'd be fine. And I'm as Mark Warburton and Neil Warnock, not and any manager I fell out with, would attest to. I I, I I'm not for for being um, quietened through how much financial things you can give me it's not my way I'm, I'm here to to win I'm here to do the best I possibly can and if that means upsetting a few people along the way then I've got absolutely no problem with that because I'm away from my kids and, and from me from the people that care about me friends and family to do this job and I'm being paid really really well to do it and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I can get up in the morning and look myself and any supporter in the face and say hey, I had a fucking go for you I can only do what I can do but I, I've always tried to to do that and, and conduct myself in that way. And, and sometimes that's meant not for an easy life for myself. It's meant me button heads with influential people within football and powerful people within football clubs. And, and ultimately, you know, in, in, in the Newcastle regard, it meant me leaving Newcastle in the QPR regard. It meant Neil Warnock leaving New, uh, QPR. Um, and unfortunately, if you're not doing your job properly, and I'll, I'll meet, you know, I've met Neil and see him. I look every single one of them. Lambias, Ashley, dead square in the eyes. I can stand behind my decisions as a human being, my decisions as a man, and, and, and that's all that's important to me. It's not important what they think. What It's that I can look myself in the mirror and the man that stares back is somebody that you know has made mistakes, many of them, but has always tried to weirdly uh, do the right thing as more often than not. I've got to, I may as well, we may as well get it out of the way early, the game against Manchester City, the famous Aguero goal, where you have the incident, I have to ask the question. See when, Again, see when that... Do you see what I mean? It's just mental though, isn't it? Like, that, that, only that stuff, that stuff can only happen to me, my shirt getting robbed, all that, all that the, being the first player on, I think I was the first player on social media to, to, to engineer... A, a free transfer after <laughs> of the club and win a PR battle with them. The fact that I'm still so um, warmly received on Tyneside is because I was able to not let the club uh, destroy any credibility Absolutely. I built with the fans, which they would have been able to do probably a year before or two years before, because that was the power of clubs in the and, and media in that space. So the City game is 
uh, the city game was actually just just a, just the 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 tip of the iceberg. I mean, you know, the I, question. I'm, the question I'm desperate to ask you about in terms of the obviously we know the Aguero goal, etc. See when you were sent off, this is a question I've always wanted to ask you. Was it your intention to try and take as many city players with you as you possibly could? Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, that was the only thing I could do to help the team. Um, so, again, I have to watch that game constantly all the time because it's just replayed and replayed and replayed because of the Aguero moments. And, um, you know, you, you're never able to forget about 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 that Um kind of game as much as you want to put it to the back of your mind and have it gone into the dark recesses unfortunately due to the Sky Sports coverage and, and City's um, dominance now that always uh, raises its head but what had happened was we, we were obviously we had to win or we had to get a better result there than what Bolton were going to get at Stoke we'd gone from um, Neil Warnock had been sacked in the January I think after they'd got, got knocked out of the cup at MK Dons it was probably the right call because he was very, very, I mean, a lot of QPR fans love him, so we have to be careful. And he's done a great job getting them promoted, but he's not for me, Warner. In, 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 and I'm probably not for him. So, what was he like as a manager? Was it his man management good or was it severe? He's not for me. So, like, Clint's, Clint's my assistant at um, Fleetwood, and Clint has got a great relationship with him from Palace and, and obviously QPR, um, and, and has a different perspective on him. I have a smallest perspective on him from a period at QPR and QPR in the Premier League. And I think even Neil, I know he don't accept it, but I think Neil became really, really good at getting teams promoted from the Championship to the Premier League, which is not easy. And that's a, that's a good thing to be good at. But he wasn't great at keeping them in the Premier League. I don't think he ever kept any team he took up in, in, into the top division. And, and there'll be a reason for that. Um, I've got my thoughts and theories on it, but Again, he's a manager who's achieved a lot more as a manager than I have. So I'm not in a position to really question his credentials as a manager. I can question them as a as a player playing for the manager because mm-hmm. I knew what I needed as a player and I felt I knew what to stay in the Premier League he needed to do. Um, but again, as a manager, he had his way of doing things and he built a team that, well, that got promoted at the end of the four-year plan. Uh, however fucking haphazardly they got, I mean, they got lucky, let's be honest. They got lucky. Um, and Warnock was a big part in getting them over the line. That Adele Taraf, Warnock, Clint Hill, Jamie Mackey, Brad Orr, Sean Derry, Hyde Helgerson, Ali Fallen, that group, they were, a, they were a good, solid group. And when we when I came from Newcastle to QPR, it was a good, solid set of lads. But what you had in between that was all the hangover from all the, the nonsense of the four-year plan on a board level. You had the likes of Gianni Palladini, who's a nice guy, but you can see from the the, the documentary, strange relationship with the club. He's still in there. You had Fernandez and the new owners trying to. So, so the club was at a real transition phase, and that meant lo, there was lots of. I think there's about forty players in the dressing room, and you know you had you, like some Martin Rowland still there, Danny Shitu, Fitzall, Radic Cheney, um, Rowan Vine, Patrick Agjemang. You know there was lots of players left over from. Jim Magill, you've seen the four-year plan. He, he yeah, changed yeah. through Paolo Sosa, Jim Magill, and he just banged them. Managers are going left, right and centre, but all of them are getting players brought in. So there was just lots of confusion. Obviously, in the championship year, Neil Warnock had got his own feel and his own group with the likes of Deza, um, Clint Hill, um, uh, 
I think Tarapt and a few others coming in, but you were still faced with four or five other managers, different groups of players. So it was a complete mess in the dressing room. And then you had all these new wave of players coming in, yourself, Armand Traore, Sean Wright Phillips, Luke Young, um, who, who were all paid disproportionately to all those other players in the dressing room. So it just wasn't in sync and it needed a bed and in period and a time to settle down. And, and the way Neil Warnock is as a manager didn't really allow for that because you're in favour with Warnock or, you, or you're gone. There's no in-between. If you're playing for him, he's, a, he's probably a great manager to play for, but if you don't, he's not. Um, and he doesn't really pay attention to those who are not. And that's not great for the dressing room environment. So there was lots of things that were going on that shouldn't have been going up, that shouldn't have been happening at a Premier League level club. They can happen in the Championship because it's not it's not the elite elite of the elite. You know, you can get away with making a couple of mistakes and a couple of errors at that level that you will not get away with at Premier League level when you run into the big sides and the big players because you just don't make them mistakes. Obviously, I had a long, a long time playing there and, and was trying to stop them making them mistakes, the same I was doing at Rangers with Mark Warburton. But, but managers are setting the ways. You know, they've got their way of doing things. And as I say, Neil was really successful. Warbs has got his way of doing things. And they don't want to change. And they don't want to change, especially when there's a player coming in who's saying, hang on, you can't do this. So that, the frustrating thing for me is you then have to wait for things to unfold before you can, you can affect them. And, 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 and usually in football, that means losing games of football. Or, well, most of the time, the only way things get affected is, is by the results. So that's frustrating, knowing you're going into a game on a Saturday when things can be done better and you know that you're massively underprepared as a team and you're going to play against a team that's not going to be underprepared and there's going to be 50,000 in the stadium and, and you're going to find that out rather than admit you don't know the, the best way all the time and, 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 and think, a lot, think together but not alike. You don't have to agree with the manager. You can disagree with him. It doesn't mean you don't like him or don't rate him, but it means you can have a difference of opinion and, and the cultures or the culture of, of, of Warner wasn't necessarily that. Um, and, you know, was, for me, he, what, what, what happened which killed Neil Warner? And, and that, this, this kind of, I've not really spoken about this before, so this is a good one for you, but it kind of goes unnoticed because he's very, very particular and very, very clever how he manages the media. Um, and, and by the way, he looks, he looks after players who are loyal to him. And he, you'll see he always has a similar group that go on the journey with him. And, he, and that's staff and players. So he likes what he likes. And he likes um, the insulation of that. I suppose all managers have a, a, a piece of that about them. But, but, but what, what happened with Neil was when the money... So he takes over. If you ever look at the four-year plan, the end of that, Crystal Palace go into administration... I think Bria Torre is cheering through managers. He's either sacked Magilton or sacked Paolo Sosa or Ian Dowie or whatever he was trying to sack. And Palace go into administration. And if you ever remember, Palace stayed up. I think at Clinton Desa played in the game. At Chef Wednesday at Highbury on the last day of the season, I think they scored a goal to get a draw, which kept Palace up with, with the administration uh, points deduction. But Warnock had jumped ship in the January or the February. I think it was just on the February, January or February, to go to QPR because Warnock um, had realised Palace are going to go into administration. I'm going to have no money to spend. I need to get out of here. So he's deserted the Palace 
um, ship fits with the man I know. Um, he then goes to QPR, and to be fair to him, stabilises the ship. He brings some of those players in from Palace and brings his own take on how you get promoted, which he's good at from champ to prem. They then have that last year of the documentary, which which is you know accumulating the Ali Fall and saga, and then are they going to get up? Aren't they going to get up? And then they go up and they and they won that uh, division. Um, but if you watch that documentary, the year before we beat them on the final day of the season, and Amit's on the documentary saying that's two teams on the row who've come here and won the title, and we want to be that team next year. And lo and behold, they were that team next year. But we at Newcastle with the team, we beat them to win the league the year before. So I'm watching the documentary and it's good for me because it, it kind of, you, you forget sometimes the chronological order of things because your playing career just goes boom, past you. So then the year they get up is, you know, the celebrating, Taraps the captain. Um, and then there's this new influx of money. The Malay, Briatori sells out, I think, and Bernie Eccleston. Ahmed stays part of it. And then Tony Fernandez and the Malaysian crew um, come into town. And Warnock's thinking, okay, I can go and get all these players now. Now, I, I made the financial decision to sign for QPR for the well-being of my family um, because I thought, well, where am I going to go? The offer I'm getting off them is phenomenal. I want to live in London. I can put a base down and, and, and it's a good project I can get my teeth into. Without putting, so you in a, sorry, without putting you in a spot, was the offer from QPR more than you earned at Newcastle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, it, it was one of them where financially it was a, it was a no-brainer. You know, I was I, I was getting top top money um, again, north of three and a half million pound a season because it was a free transfer rather than the four million that was being quoted before. I think I took six million quid in a signing on fee or something. So it was, it, you know, it was money that it, it you know you go from having a lot of money to having kind of fuck you money you, you know you do what you want for the rest of your life if you want to stop playing footy tomorrow and go and be anything you want to be or your kids do then you could pretty much um you could do that but I never got in the game for that that wasn't what I was in the game for yeah. but it it, it, it haphazardly happened to what to me I wasn't going to complain so I go I go to QPR but I'm still I could have said nothing Warnock would never have given me a problem. The minute I walked in, he made me the captain. I didn't want to be captain. I said, you've got a captain in Tarapt, whether he's the right or wrong captain, he's your captain. You've just won the championship. You can't. No, 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 we want you to. So instantly, that didn't go down well with the fans, but weren't my decision. Um, and then I didn't really get up and running because you know I was getting used to the players around me. They weren't at the same level of quality that I'd been playing with. And that could be frustrating. And then because you're captain and you feel like, you know, they've made a huge investment in me. You, you're trying even harder, and that is actually not helping you play football. Um, so I struggled in the initial part of going to the QPR. Uh, and then I had a little bit of a struggle for fitness, and I think I had a couple of groin and, 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 and um, thigh issues. And I, and I missed a load of games around Christmas, and it ultimately ended in Warnock got the sack mm-hmm. after they lost to MK Dons, I think, in an FA Cup replay third round. So that's early part of Jan. Um, and, and and if I'm honest, I was I was happy because he was, in my opinion, the standard I'd been used to, the coaches I'd worked for. He was very very um, un- unprofessional. It's the only word I can use. You know, he, he would not not turn up at the training ground till eleven o'clock. We'd start training at half ten. He would um, have our chief scout picking his 
daughter up from university in the middle of the you know a day to go in the transfer window when that not his job but he, he just surrounded himself with people who were absolutely uh, sycophants for his style of management and that all the staff he never had a strong staff um when when fernandez come in classic warner he signed a new deal and got himself looked after with the new money that had come in and had promised all his staff a, a, a pay rise because they'd gone from champ to prem and then hadn't delivered on that. So you had Ronnie Jepson, first team coach, Keith Kale, first team coach, who was saying, Well, he hasn't fucking given us a wage rise. So, so we're not we're we're not doing we're not going above and beyond. So they'd go out, we were training at 10 30, they'd walk onto the training pitch at 10 15, put a load of cones out, and then put substandard sessions on for Premier League attempting to be level players. And and then the minute the training session finished, stop the session and, and they'd go inside. They'd play head tennis for money for beer tokens to go out drinking in the afternoon. Now, Warnock was letting all... Now, all he, he, he let all that go on. He ne- they never had a masseur. They never had proper physiotherapy. They never had a proper gym. They never had a proper infrastructure. The canteen was terrible. So I'm going, hang on a minute. If you're a fucking manager and you're serious about your, tra- your, your craft, you have to get all these things in place. You know, you can't have this going on. It's it's amateur hour. And that's why he's never kept the side in, in the Prem because top players just won't have that. You can't do that in the Premier League because you're playing against an international footballer virtually every week. Someone who is at the apex of football in the country that they come from every single week. Um, you know, you're playing against the best of the best. You can't go into them encounters underprepared. You can't go in. Uh, with with the Jolly Boys Club, um, you you can get in the champ. You can build a great team of team spirit. Have a bit of a drinking culture. Get the lads together. You can still you can't now so much because the players are all athletes. But at that point you could you could get a load of good lads together. I mean Harry Redknapp did that. Put a load of good players together and they'll sort it out themselves. And that was a lot of the old managerial. You know you go back 20, 30, 40 years. That was the old managerial way. Manager sits in his office, shirt and tie stands on the touchline, picks the team. But your senior players, your captains, your vice-captains, they run your dressing room for you. You know, it worked well for Fergie and Man United. But ultimately, at a point, the manager is the leader. The manager sets the tone. He, set, he charts the course. He's the captain of the ship. And all managers get to that. But with Warnock, whenever he came to captain the ship, you were just like, what's this guy all about? You know, he's so, Ill, he's so ill-disciplined in what he does. His staff are ill-disciplined. You know, there was a, in the end there was a mutiny, um, and ultimately he lost his job because you know he'd allowed that to happen. And as a manager, I have no sympathy for him. I look back and I go, yeah, it's your own fault. You you didn't do your job at the required level. No matter what you want to blag the fans and the forums and the media and all that. The ultimately, end of the day, if you lose your job as a manager, which I will do at some point, it'll be because you've you've your standards have slipped. Um, and and you've got no one to blame but yourself. If if you're the manager of any company, never mind a football team or a business, and you know things happen that are in your control um, that that ultimately cause negative results and performances, which 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 will lead to you um, losing your position. Um, and ultimately, for Warnock, that, that that's what happened. Uh, the only thing for me is, I think, in, in in with the power of hindsight, if you're offered me Warnock or Mark Hughes. <laughs> I'd take I'd take Warnock, but um, you know that was only because Hughes is probably the worst manager I, I played for. Well, Hughes is, is somebody I'm desperate to ask you about, and the reason I'm desperate to ask you about is because 
He had a reputation, obviously he was a great player. He had a reputation in management with Wales, Blackburn, of being a really strong manager. QPR was disastrous for him. He had a strange kind of year at Fulham and then he left. And then, obviously, in recent years, he lost his job at Stoke, Southampton, etc. What What was he like? Because I know, obviously, you've said the worst manager. I'm interested to know why, because I think a lot of people used to really rate him as a manager, whereas now I think he stops at an all-time low. Yeah, I mean, look, when I say worst manager, just from my perspective, from my experience, he's the worst. I didn't get on with him. And the things that I fell out with him over, for me, are just non-negotiables in terms of, as a person, just non-negotiable. Um, I think your word, your word's your word. And if you say something, I think you've got you've to make sure you, you back it up. And, um, strange, strangely for Mark, um, he, he wasn't able to do that. I mean, disappointed it would be an understatement because, I, you know, I was an Evertonian. He played at the Everton back end of his career. He was obviously, you know, a player that you, you, you love watching play. I mean, you know, some of the volleys he scored in his playing career, I thought, wow, he's, he's a proper fella. You know, you, you thought he was going to be the same kind of manager that he was as a player. And then, you know, Wales, he did okay, didn't he? Wales did okay with them. Went to Blackburn, did okay with Blackburn. And, 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 and you thought, you know, he must know what he's doing. Yeah. And then and then he turned up at QPR. And um, I, I was probably a little bit naive in terms of, I think I think it's well known that there was, there was a lot of um, senior players. And myself, I think me, me and Sean Wright Phillips always seem to get the blame that we ousted Warner. Um, but but it was it there was about twelve players who who wanted Warner gone, um, and ultimately the board get rid of a manager. You know we got called to meetings as players, and I, I was asked my opinion on training, and I was like, look, it's not good enough. And you know I'll tell Warner and Ronnie Jefferson and Keith Kerla from the start, it was fucking piss poor standard. And and um, and someone asked me a question, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna tell them, and you don't have to worry about my answer if you're doing everything at the required level. And and I think. Once they canvassed the number of players, it was evident that Warnock and his crew weren't, weren't cut out for the Premier League. They've then gone for Sparky, who's tried and tested. You know, same as you, we all thought, you know, he must be a good manager. Um, and then he came in and I sat down and had a conversation with him, I think two days in, and said, look, this is what's happened with the previous manager. You, you, you'll probably hear loads of stories because I knew the way Warnock was. He'd be leaking stuff in the press. I said, look, I'll level with you. This is exactly what's happened. This is what my role in it. And this is the reasons why I wasn't for, for Warnock. And, and he agreed with all of them. After a week, he came to me and said, look, I've seen everything at the club that I agree with you. You know, the standard was below par and we're going to change that. So I thought, great, you know, this is going to be um, a great, op- uh, you know, a, the QPR moving forward that we need because I'd still had three and a half years left on the deal. So I'm like, great, this is going to work now. Um, and then I didn't know, I only found out after I left QPR, but I've walked out that that meeting, which was me leveling with a man, man to man, just telling them the truth. So we, he had no second, third, fourth and conversations. It was just, you know, from the horse's mouth. Um, and at that point I said, look, I've been, the, Tony Fernandez, who was the owner, Phil B, the chief exec, were phoning me all the time. How do we do this? How do we... Because they were quite new to football. So I was helping them set the club up and do things within the club. And I said, look, I'm in time. I'm not playing particularly well. This is to Mark Hughes. You need me to play as good as I can on the pitch. And, you know, so I need to 
stop having Fernandez and Phil Beard ringing me. Like, can you deep? Like, I don't want that. I want to just play and focus on my football. I've got, you know, it's hard enough job as it is without helping the club off the field. So I said, I sent Tony and um, Phil a text and said, look, don't become, and Mark agreed with it. And unbeknown to me, Mark, after I walked out in the next 24 hours, allegedly has, has said to people, I want him out of the club. He's too powerful. So I didn't know that. Um, for me, it was a, it was, it was just an olive branch to, hey, we need to get this club working. How do we do it? This is what's happened before. Let's move forward. But I was told that he made a decision with his team then that I was, I was to be moved on um, because of how powerful I was, which I didn't see. I was just, you know, I, I was the owners and they wanted to ask a player they'd made a huge financial investment in, how, how you get clubs up to the level that he'd played at which was logical. Um, so I, I didn't speak to Phil and, and Tony between then and the end of the season, which was that Man City game, to, out of respect for the manager and the managerial position and, and, and the fact that I wanted to focus on my football. And un, unknown to me, he'd, he'd used that opportunity as a way to try and force me out of the club and, and, and cut off you know, the, the, the kind of allies I had within uh, the boardroom at, at, at QPR, which was fine, no problem. Um, but again, you know, this is where me and Mark maybe differ. We, we got to a point where we were gone. That QPR side was gone. And it was gone because the players disliked Mark immensely and his staff seriously disliked him. He was more professional. He was better organised than Warner, but he didn't have any man management uh, skills at all. Mark personally, very, very low. Probably, as I say, the worst manager I've worked for in a man management space. Tactically, technically, the t- sessions were okay. They were run of the mill for championship prem, but the man management was 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 terrible. And I remember we'd lost to we'd lost to someone away from home, and and he came in on the Monday and started hammering the defence, like hammering players like Anton Ferdinand and stuff. We were just not ready for that. They were they were too insecure to to take uh, what the staff were giving them, and. Um, we had about eight or nine games to go, and, and I remember walking. I walked off the training pitch, and we had a, a good little group, which was Hyde Helgerson, Brad Orr, Jay Mackey, Clint Hill, Paddy Kenny, um, Tommy Smith, uh, Ali Fallen, and we were all just sitting, and we, we were like, "Fucking hell, we're fucked here. We're fucked." And and the rest of the lads in the dressing room, there's some good lads in there, but they weren't really a, a cohesive, like they weren't gonna. They were sheep, you know, they'd go with the flow of the group. They would go with whatever the group was doing. Um, and we sat down and, and we just said, look, and we all, every single player was united in that dressing room, bar and one or two, that they didn't like Mark Hughes and they didn't like what was going on. But at that point, we didn't have a choice because if we didn't, if we didn't like him and that showed in performance, we were going to be relegated. Um, and we kind of had a frank conversation and just sat down and said, look, We've got. We don't like him. None of us like them. But we've got to keep. We've got to do everything we can to keep the club up. And then, literally, try. You know, if we need to leave in the summer, we need to leave. But we can't have a relegation on our CV. You know, for some lads that meant a fifty percent wage drop. For some, it didn't. We just didn't want that. So we came out of it and went. So we actually had a, a common cause between us as players that we all hated the manager, but it actually galvanised us as players. Um, so we went to, uh, we went on a mad run. I think we beat Spurs at home, Swansea at home, 
Liverpool at home after being two 0 down. I got dragged off in that game. I had a nightmare, and and there was just a load of mad results which accumulated in us being having to get a better result on the lap from being down and gone to having a chance if we bettered Bolton's results at Stoke away at Man City, who were trying, who had to beat us to win the league. So you can imagine if you have to beat the team that they need to win to win the league, you need to better. So, you know, a draw would have been a great result. Um, but we were pr- probably going to get nothing because they were the side that were going to win the league away from home and we're in a relegation scrap. So we were praying on Stoke getting a beaten Bolton, which we, we thought was a more, you know, if we can win, great. If we can draw, great. But we're probably going to be reliant upon outside factors, which is, is what it turned out to be. So we go into the City game and I'd obviously left City and, when we were, when we got off the coach, you go underneath the Etihad, and we got off the coach, and there was balloons blown up, champions banners. It was like, oh, we're just going to beat these muppets and win the league. And I, I felt it was real. I got off the coach, and I remember thinking, you cheeky bastards! Like you've pulled our coach up, where you've got all your celebratory, all your party fucking balloons, and all your signs about how you're going to be champions. And this game's not done and dusted. So I remember saying to the players, hey, look at that. Look look what's got... That, that's how much respect they've got for us. Look, they think that this is done. And and we didn't need a team talk. And we went in. Paddy Kenny threw one in from Zab. He should have saved that Zabaleta fucking cross shot or whatever. But but they started the game. They started the game really nervously. And then scored and it settled them down. Um, it was a bit of a fluke goal, Zabaleta. I think he's crossed. It's gone in back stick. But... At that point, we had nothing to lose, and 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 they had everything to lose because they even now, if they won, they won the league. But if we scored, they'd lost the league. You know, so the 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 tie flipped on its head. They they all of a sudden just got really really apprehensive, clammed up, and we sensed it. And I think then we score with, I think there's Jamie who scores. Someone scores. I think Gibral Cisse scores. He scored first, yeah. Early in the second half, they've completely gone, and. Um, and then t- off the ball, I- I've they've t- we've someone's taken a throw in, and I've read the throw in, got it ahead of Carlos Tevez. So so I'm in front of him, shielding the ball, and out of frustration, he's jumped on me back and punched me in the side of the head because they've gone from being one nil up, winning the title, to we're all over the gaff mentally, and it's back to one one, and actually QPR are getting stronger, not worse. So Tevez has lost his head, lashed out at me. He's punched me across the face as he's jumped behind me. So me being me, I've instantly got gone into what the fuck's going on here? Like I'm not having that. So I've looked round expecting to see ref blow up, linesman flag, Tevez to be sent off, and and there's nothing. The game's just carried on regardless. So nobody's seen it. So I'm furious, absolutely furious, having been chinned. So I've I've. Jog back into position. As I've jogged back into position, Tevez has come running behind me to get back on side. So I've seen him coming and obviously Bink elbowed him to make it 1-1. Obviously, that's been spotted by the linesman on the far side. Starts flagging. Mike Dean's the ref. Mike blows the whistle. So at that point, I'm like, shit, I'm getting sent off here. It's 1-1. We're in the ascendancy. We've got to win to stay up. I, I'm fucking out. I've been sent off. I've lost my discipline. I'm going... But I'm like, well, it's be all right because Tevez is going to go as well because surely they're going to see both and it's going to be two red cards. Mike Dean calls us over. 
and there's a, there's like players in between it. Bobby Zamora comes to me and says, you're getting sent off. He says, make sure you take one of theirs with you. So I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, it, that'll even the sides up. Now I'm like, what what was you thinking? But at the time, in, in, in the heat of battle, that seemed a very, very good um, uh, thing to do. Um, you know, the, the couple of hundred grand and the 12-game banner got uh, kind of, Hindsight tells me that wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> so when, when Mike sends me off, I'm like, so you're going to send Tevez off? He's like, what are you on about? So we, that's what started the instance. I didn't see it. So I've been sent off. Um, and Aguero was one of the people who ran to the referee and was going, he's done this, 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 this. Not telling him about Tevez, but telling Mike Dean I did Tevez. So I'd seen that. And as I turned around after I'd been sent off, Aguero was there. And he's like pushing and shoving someone. So obviously the chain of events, and I thought, well, you can, you can have a knee in the leg for being a fucking grass and telling the ref about it. That led into companies and whatever it is, and, the, and then the melee. And then, um, obviously, I'm going off, and I thought I've done enough to get one of theirs to respond and have a bit of a scrap with me and get themselves sent off. But, but, but they never, they, you know, they managed to keep the lid on it. And then, as I'm coming off, soft lads there, didn't he? Balotelli starts giving it the big portions. Um, so, yeah, it, it was... You know, not 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 my proudest moment as a pro. Something I've got to live with. Um, the, the kind of shame and uh, of being sent off. But I mean, you know, most City fans should be thankful because Man United, I think, won at Middlesbrough that afternoon, and Aguero and Jekyll was had scored the goals in, yeah. in in stoppage time. And 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 if I'd have stayed on the park, City wouldn't have won the league because we were on top and their asses had gone. Um, and if, if it wouldn't have been for the having a scrap with three or four of them on the way off, they wouldn't have had that amount of stoppage time that Aguero could have got the winner. So I'm still waiting on my medal in the in the post, but I haven't, I haven't seen to receive it yet. You know. In terms of that, you talked about the fact you're sent off, you get a big a big ban, you get a big fine as well. You're kind of banished from QP, QPR at that point. You you go and train with Fleetwood. Um, were you ever tempted to try and sign for Fleetwood at that point just to get games and away from QPR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what happened was um, after the game finished, I've obviously, when I got sent off, I've got showered and there's not really much I can do. So I went and watched the rest of the game from the tunnel. So I'm watching the scores come in because my priority is to make sure we stay up because I'm thinking I'm in shit, but I'm going to be in even more shit if we get relegated because I'm going to be made the scapegoat of it and, and rightly so. Um, and I just wanted the lads to survive because I'm like, I, I'm going to have to look at lads who are going to get a 50% wage cut and they're going to probably blame me, which would have been justified. And they're people I care about and teammates and it's a horrible position to be in. Fortunately for us, Stoke got the, the right result and, and that meant Bolton were down and we'd stayed up. But I'm in the tunnel and I knew that before City are 2-1 down because um, Jamie Mackey scored a great, great header from Armand Traore and they're gone. You know, Mancini's running up and down the touchline. I think that's why Mancini got the sack. He shouted, you fucking cunt, you this, you this. And all these players, bad-mouthing them. Um, and then City score the equaliser and then get the winner. But at that point, I knew when they scored the winner, I knew we were already safe because I had seen the, I'd got the, I was in the tunnel with Jeff Shreves and, and, and the Sky people and I had the result. So I knew we were safe, although some of the players on the pitch knew, some didn't. So at that point, I'm like, I'm not asked out with City win the league or not. I'd prefer City to win it over United because my City connection anyway. I wanted City to win the league and us to stay up. So in hindsight, it was the perfect result for me as an ex-City player and someone who cares about Man City and, and, and being happy for them uh, to win the league rather than United. But at that point, 
I'm I'm off ski. So once once Aguero scores and I know we're safe, I've gone and sat on the coach on my own. I'm not in the dress. I've gone down the dressing room, just got off because I'm like, right now you've got to deal with the fallout of your your uh, thing. But the great thing is we've stayed up. So uh, whatever happens, happens. If you'd offered me that before the game, I'd get a, a massive fine in the band. But we stay up, then I'd have taken it. Um, so I'm sitting on the coach, and the lads are obviously we've stayed up. So get a bit of a great escape for us. City have won the league, so there's a huge celebratory atmosphere in the stadium, apart from me. Obviously, he doesn't want to celebrate anything. I just want to get out of there and be gone. Um, and, and you know, the players are going, come back in the dressing room and we're having a beer. And they were all, all, all the QPR players were celebrating. And I was like, I'm not celebrating, just staying in the league. Like, this is clubs of shambles. So much needs to change. I'm not celebrating that. Mark using his staff to try and get me in. I wouldn't go in. And he's like, it won't be the same next year. It won't be this, it won't be that. And I'm thinking, I'm not, I, surely I'm not going to be here next year with you. But he's gone, no, no, listen, Tony Fernandez come in. He's like, don't worry about it. We've stayed up. We've done, you know, your performances. Everything's fine. You know, we'll, we'll deal with this with the FA when you get your fine. But, but look, we've stayed up. Job's, job's done. But I was always uncomfortable with it. We flew back to London that night. As we got off the coach to leave, to go home, Mark Hughes shaking everyone's hand, shaking my hand, thanks for that. So I'm thinking, Fenella, me and him are actually all right. We've stayed up, so... Maybe our, our differences, maybe this is, you know, job done and we're going to move past this. Because um, I wouldn't have shook his hand if I didn't mean it. So I presumed he was shaking my hand, looking me in the eyes, telling me everything I needed to hear was, was his word as a man. Because that's what I usually take people on. Um, and as it transpires, um, he, what he said and, and, and what he did were two totally different things. So I arrived back uh, for pre-season training um, the following season without no com- communication in the summer. And I walk back in, he's, he's like, right, you're in with the kids. So I've still got three years left on my deal. I've, I was the captain the year before, albeit I've got a, a, a 12-match ban to negate because I've, in the interim, the FA had banned me um, for 12 games. They've seen it as three separate sending-offs rather than the one sending-off, which is, it is what it is, but bizarre, but, but it is what it is. Um, so I get a record ban because I get three games for one, four games, and then five games for the other. So they put them all in in twelve gamer, which leads to me getting a long, the longest ban in ever, apart from Eric Cantona's Kung Fu Kick. So bigger ban than any of the races and ones of Suarez, Terry, well bigger than them. So getting kneeing someone and trying to nudge someone with your head is worse than basically abusing someone by the FA's logic or the logic of the FA at that time and um, I've got 12 games in the gate Sparky bring me in send me with the kids so I'm now in this limbo I've got three years left on a, on an incredible contract that I'm not going to get elsewhere and I've got a manager who doesn't want me to be there so I'm like and then they start signing you know all these Galacticos, Basingwe, Julio Cesar, and you're just like, this is a fucking mess. This is going to get worse. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he's going to get the wrong um, group together in the dressing room. How big were those and egos just, when they came in? Because when they came yeah, in to QPR, I, I, it was a shock. Do you know what? I wasn't really privy to it. I'd been sent in the dressing room with the kids, so I'd been taken out, you know, the previous year's captain of the club. I'd been sent up, me and a few others who were, Dean, I think like Luke Young, there was about five or six of us who all got moved to the kids' dressing room, football sometimes. And um, so I just, being me, I just like, fuck it, I'm not going to make this as difficult for Mark Hughes as I possibly can. So I'm like, fine, we're at war, no problem. You, want, you, you think it's, you think you've, you've, you've seen a side of me that 
that you're comfortable with. He, he, he hasn't met the dark energy that, 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 that lived inside me as a player. So I, I'm openly hostile. I don't care whether you're manager or not. If you, you, you judge on your merit as a human being, to me, regardless of who you've played for, regardless of um, what achievements you've got, if you don't conduct yourself correctly um, and in the correct manner and the correct tone, then a personality like mine isn't going to just allow you to behave the way you behave because you're manager of the football club. So on a daily basis, I would I would make it very, very difficult for him to just exist in the training ground with my just my presence. Um, and he didn't like that. He didn't he didn't want me there. He was tried to force me out of the club multiple times and I just refused to go, refused to do it. Um made it very, very difficult for him. I think, you know, in my book, I write about going in his office, locking the door on him and, and, and um, settling it in, in a physical um, manner, which he didn't want to do. And for me, that was a way of, of, of resolving the conflict. And, and, and luckily for me, um, he didn't want to do it that way because it probably wouldn't have ended up great for either of us. But, but at the, that moment in time, it was, it was the only way I thought I could deal with it. Um, at that point, if you're the manager of a football club and you've got a, a player as 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 uh, disruptive as, as what I was being, um, you know, you you don't need them in the building. You don't you don't want them in the building. Um, and Fleetwood popped up um, as a place for me to train um, away from Mark Hughes. It was mainly to save Mark Hughes because he didn't like seeing him in the training ground. Well, his name's not Mark Hughes. His name's Leslie Mark Hughes. But because he doesn't like Leslie, he, sh- he uses the mark. But obviously, I knew his name was Leslie. His name's Leslie Hughes. His not, name's not Mark Hughes. He's called himself Mark Hughes, like a stage name. So I used to refer to him every morning as Leslie, which he hates. So I used to be like, morning, Leslie. Morning, Les. And he hates it. So you can imagine he's the manager of the club. And he'd come into the canteen. And you've got this player he thought he got rid of going, Leslie, morning, Les. And then, and then. He'd signed all these superstar players and I was openly saying, he's shite, he's shit, he's got no bollocks. And I was like, this team's going nowhere. Like, in front of the players, we, you know, I was very, very disruptive, which I'm not proud of, by the way. It was just, I, I was at war with, with a manager and I thought, you know, all gloves are off here. I, I needed to get myself out of the club as quick as I can. And he wanted that, but it had to kind of come to a crescendo. So if you ever remember, he signed all these superstars and he famously said at the end of that season, we'll never be in that position again while I'm manager and uh, all those kind of things. And then uh, assembled all these superstars from all these super super agents that he knows, um, all these big names, and um, they're going to win the league and get in Europe. Rob Green, free transfer, and then Julio Cesar, which makes loads of sense. So he signed two keepers on. I think Greeny was on 50 grand a week and Julio Cesar was on 120. So you had two goalkeepers compete for one space, paying them 170 grand a week. Brilliant decision from Sparky. Um, so so the just nonsense was about. And um, the, the open the season up, expecting to steamroll at everyone. It was Swansea at home. Michael Loudrup, Swansea with... Um, meet you. Meet you. And they were under the radar, Swansea, they played some good stuff, and I think Swansea beat them 5 or 6 nil open yeah, day of the uh, season, so obviously I was banished, I was just training every day, but weekends you were giving off, because you just we just want you to fuck off out the club, so I obviously go in on the Monday, after they've built all this pre-season campaign, about they're going to do X, Y and Z, and I'm gone, not on what I've seen on the training ground, because I've been watching their sessions, after we'd finished with the youth team, 
And I'm like, these are miles away. Like, these are nowhere go- as good as they think they are. Because I'm obviously wanting them to, to be terrible because I hate the manager. And, and they get beat 5 or 6 nil first game of the season. I've gone in on the Monday and that's the happiest I've been there, which is bizarre, really. You can think how difficult it must have been for the manager. And I'm like, oh, what happened there, Leslie? What happened to getting in the Europa League? I thought you were going to... What happened there? You're a shite. You're going to get relegated. You're not going to win a game for three months. You're a shit. So this is in front of, in the canteen, other players. I was shouting it to the staff table. I was at the other end going... So you can imagine... You can imagine how well that's gone down. That That's, you know, as disruptive as it gets. But as I say, at the time, I was just puddled. Um... Because I'm like this. This fellow's trying to ruin my career. You know, he's not. I've been fair with him at every junction, and and he's he's not reciprocated it. So you know, gloves are off. Um, at that point, he tried to loan me to Chef Wednesday. Dave Jones was the manager of Chef Red. Phoned me and said, "I've heard you, you, you you're coming on loan to us." And I'm like, "I'm not signing for Chef Red." I said, uh, "Me mate Andy Mangans at Fleetwood. They just got promoted from the conference to League Two. I'm just going to go and train with them. Mickey Mellon's there. I spoke to Mick." I said, look, am I allowed to train with you for a couple of weeks? Sparky just wanted me out of the training ground because he's like, I don't need this fella coming in, ridiculing me. I'd walk through the training ground and doors would just close. People just avoided me. Like every, None of the staff who were spoke to would speak to me in case Mark Hughes seen them and held it against them. And none of his staff liked me anyway, so... I'd literally walk into the training ground, you just see doors closing. It was like one of them westerns, you know, the saloon doors all just going, people just scurrying away. Um, but but obviously the hardcore and I mean I mean proper pals, the lads who I'm still close to, Helgerson, Derry, Fallen, Brad Orr, Jay Mackey, Clint Hill, um, Paddy Kent, the good lads I still speak to because you know they even then knew what was going on and would some of them were in that boat with me in the um, getting fired out the club boat and and some weren't and. That's where you truly realise what people are about and, 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 and what a man is or, or what someone who, who, who maintains the word is through good and bad. And, and our friendships were kind of were, were found, founded in, in, in those moments. Uh, as it turned out, Mark was delighted, or Leslie was delighted to get me to go to, um, to, to Fleetwood because I was out of his hair. And obviously he thought, I'll get a few results and we'll be fine. Um, when I'm, when I'm training with Fleetwood, I got a phone call saying uh, QPR were trying to sign Stefan Mbia from Marseille and that something was happening with the deal and I might be getting used as a makeway to go the other way um, late in the window. So obviously met with Marseille, um, Jose and Ego, they were doing Cesar Aspilicueta was signing from Marseille to Chelsea. So he was in London doing the Aspilicueta deal which at five million was incredible value. And um, I met them at the back back end of that and got on well with them. Then went out to Marseille and Bia ended up signing for QPR. I was used as a bit of a leverage in the deal and got loaned back to, uh, loaned out to Marseille. And, and obviously I, I would have signed for Fleetwood just because I, I, my mindset was, well, I'll just sign for Fleetwood and help Fleetwood win Division 2 because I'm getting paid, well, I'm getting paid by QPR. I think I was on, you know, a lot of money. Well, I know I was on a lot of money there. Chef Wednesday were paying, I think, offered 10 grand a week towards me wages. So that's a lot less than what I was earning. And Andy Pilly, I'd trained with them for a couple of weeks. I said to Mickey, do you know what? Just to piss everyone off, I'm just going to sign for Fleetwood and help you win Division 2. Just because I can. So that was my mindset, just to disrupt everything by 
dropping into League Two with them lads because they were a good set of lads, just salted the earth people and just playing for them just because I wanted to fall back in love with football. I, I fell out of love with the finance and signing for money and the politics and the, the, the backstabbing and the, 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 the skullduggery that goes on at, at, at elite level. And I just thought, I never got involved in football for this, to be having arguments with managers and being disruptive. I just want to play football. I've not asked about money. I just want to fall back in love with it. So I went, out to, I went to Fleetwood, trained with them for two weeks with Mickey. And in my mind, I decided for them, there's no problem. Back end of that, um, Marseille came in and, and I remember I said, Mickey went, I went, Mick, look, it's Marseille. And he went, no, get yourself out there. So went out to Marseille, um, negated a 12-match ban and was part, of, had a great season out in France, a season that, you know, I, I, I look back on as many, many others in my career with, with great uh, fondness and, and, and a love of the club and the fans and a, I think mutual respect from all parties and, and somewhere I can always go back to and get um, a, a friendly face or, or somebody saying hello because they appreciated what you've done for their football team. So uh, out of the chaos, a, a, a great moment um, came for me as it was. My part and gift to QPR was um, I went round to Amit's house and met with Fernandez and Amit the night I signed for Marseille and the, I had a really frank conversation with them and in that conversation I said look this fella's miles away you I said these won't win a game for a month two months um, and as it transpired they never won a game of football for three months um, but you could see it coming you could you can see stuff like that when you've been around the bush and you've, you've smelt it and been in them trenches as much as I have you, you know we're good and from a from a from a wrong and it's you know they're not they're not difficult to spot and it was, it was house of cards that it was built on and you knew at a point it would collapse and as it was for Sparky, it collapsed, blamed everybody else but himself, which is him. And then and then um, Harry Redknapp came in, that ended up taking them down and over the edge and then, you know, I had to come back from qualifying to, to play in the Champions League, which I'd never done at Marseille in and the right to test myself against the best of club football to getting QPR out the shit and, 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 and getting them out the Championship, which... Um, by hook or by crook, the combination of Steve Black coming in quite late and helping us and players getting the finger out quite late and obviously Bobby Zamora's striking at Wembley in, in added time. Uh, we managed to save the club from financial Armageddon uh, and get them back into the Premier League and then lo and behold, they all fucked it up again. In terms of Harry Redknapp, I've got to ask you, what's he like? Any good stories about Harry? Um, great, great character. Yeah, again, uh, uh, I'm going to take these earphones out because the battery's going. So I'll, I'll put you back on the um, on the speaking edition. Let me check. Sound. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? Um, so what happened was um, obviously I came back from France, and and president wants to sign me, fans wants to sign me, manager wants to sign me, I wanted to sign for Marseille. And I'd famously tweeted saying, hey, QPR might be in a championship next year, but I won't. Because I'm like, I'm not fucking going back there. You know, you've got rid of me at the club when we stayed in the league. Said you didn't need me. And now, what, you need me now because you're in the shit? I was like, no, no, no. You've back Mark Hughes. You made that bed. You lie in it. I've gone to Marseille in a tough circumstance and I've made it a success. So I'm cracking on not wasting any more in my career at QPR. And then over the summer, I thought Q 
QPR wouldn't be able to afford me wages in the championship, so would therefore offer me some kind of package to, to disappear. I'd kind of had a deal agreed with Marseille, which would compensate it for that. So I presumed I'd be going back to play for Marseille uh, late in the window because it was a bit of a financial negotiation, but, but that's where my future um, would be. And um, I get back in, and the longer and longer I come back in with Harry, and I've, I'd never worked with Harry before. I played against the teams, he was sound with me, but he said, Look, obviously, you don't want to be here playing in the champ. Um, you've got Marseille there, so I don't blame you for going. So, in my head, I was getting out. So, I didn't do pre season with the first team, I went with the youth team and to not disrupt you know, the first team picture. So, I trained with the youth team all pre season, and then with about a week to go in the window, um, I, I spoke to the president at, at Marseille and, and it looked like the deal was dead. He was like, look, we can't afford we can't afford the deal based on where the numbers are at at this moment in time. So, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I was realistic about it, however much I was disappointed that, you know, sometimes in football, finance dictates things. And um, so Marseille was off the table, which was a blow, but me being me, I'm like, all right, we'll find, we'll, QPR in the champ. I'm getting paid by QPR, so I've got no issue with this manager. I went in, knocked on Harry's door. Bear in mind, I hadn't had one training session for five weeks with, with the first team. I'd just been going in, training with the youth team. Steve Gallen was the coach. Um, and just keep myself ticking over for my exit strategy to Marseille. And I was cool with that because the French season starts later than the English season, so I could have done pre-season with them and catch up. Then next minute, it's off, it's off, moves off. Went and seen Harry and said, look, this Marseille one, it's, it's not going to happen until at least January. So, got two options. Either you keep me in the reserves and I'll train with them. I won't cause you an issue because, you know, I've got no issue with you. So, I'll just get my head down, keep myself in shape to try and get out in Jan. Or if you want, if you want me to play, I'm good to play. It's in my interest to play and play well because it'll mean I can leave quicker and I'll give everything for you. I'll do absolutely everything um, I can in my power to to be a good teammate and a good person in your team. And to be fair to him, he's gone, well, if you're not going to go then, well, you might as well play for me. So he's gone, um, where are you at fitness-wise? I'm like, I don't know, I've been training with the kids. So he says, well, train with the first team today. So that was the Monday. We're playing Chef Wed in the opening championship game on the Saturday. I've not played in any of the pre-season games. There's none left. I trained with the first team that week and then he started me right midfield on the Saturday at home to Chef Wed. We ended up winning 2-1. I, I I didn't know where I was going to be with the fans because my last game for QPR was two years before, well, a, year, a full season before getting sent off at Man City and the fans didn't really like me. You know, I hadn't really done that well and they weren't having me at all. You know, they were booing me in some regards and I thought, so Harry's put me in that game. So when it, when it came out, there was 50-50 booing, you know, when my name was read out. So I thought... All right, I've got some support. It's not the whole crowd against me. I can work with that. Um, you know, there's some people who want to see me do well for QPR, but if the whole stadium had booed, then you can't turn that round. Um, and I thought, okay, there's there's an appetite for for maybe Joey Barton, the player, to, to do something at QPR, and um, and then it just built from there. You know, I just got it, got stuck in with the lads, give everything I had, and then the wheels came off. Uh, the, in about the February, wheels came off massively. Harry had lost the plot, lost the dressing room, and there was there was all there was a, there was a group that I wasn't 
part of because I kind of kept my allegiances um, to myself. And there was a group that had got together and wanted them out of, of the job because he, they'd lost faith in him as a manager, which happens at most clubs. Um, Harry then... I went. I just remember. Got. I've wrote about this in the book. I remember. Got. I, I got to the point where I, I heard them all talking, and I went, "Lads, we're in February. There's no way we can get up if we bring another manager in and, and we don't hit the ground running. Like we, we're literally fucked. So we're not going to get back up a first attempt if you get rid of this manager. It's not about the managers. Surely at this point we've had loads of managers. It's about the playing group. We need to change attitudes. So we sat and had a bit of an argument with a few of them. Um, and I said, look, I'm not having it. Like I just said, look, leverage is now. I'm not having that. You're trying to get the manager sacked. Like it's, this is about the players. This is not about the manager at this moment. Um, because I'd seen it happen over the previous years of my career. And I, I was like, it, it's dead easy to get rid of a manager, but that isn't always the answer. And we get to that point where I said, look, well, let me get, I've not really partaken in what's going on. I said, but let me go and speak to the manager now and let's try and get this moving in a different direction. If it doesn't work, I'll be the first to say, yeah, lads, let's get rid of them. I said, but let's try this. So the lads have gone, yeah, all right, no problem. So I've said, look, give me, give, me, give me a bit of space to speak to him. So I went downstairs, knocked on the manager's door, Redknapp's door, opened the door, go in. He's got the feet on the desk, racing post open, racing channel on. Nothing to do with football, racing. He's having a bet. He's, bear in mind, the players are upstairs trying to get him sacked. He can't bear him. <laughs> H, I said, I don't know how you've managed to do this. I said, it's actually very, very difficult to do at a football club. I said, but everybody in the building hates you. Nobody likes you. There's not one person who's got a good word to say about you. I said, it's actually difficult to do that. That's not easy to do. You've got to be a right cunt for everyone to hate you. <laughs> Even in my, my darkest times, I always had a couple of allies. <laughs> But, but at this point, you know, the, the, the kit man didn't like him. The laundry woman didn't like him. The, the people who served the food, the chefs, the, nobody. He was just... Now, Harry's actually a nice fella. He's happy-go-lucky. But the, what the job had done to him had made him really lose um, relationships with a lot of important people at a football club. It's not just about the players. There's a bigger ecosystem at play. And, and I said to him, look, I said... I promised you when you brought me back from the reserve squad in pre-season and I said, if you bring me back in, I'll give you everything I can. I said, I'm at the point where I'm saying to you, like, you need to fucking do something about this otherwise you're going to be sacked. And he's like, oh, Joe, listen, when you become a coach and when you become a manager, you'll realise what this is like. You know, it's natural that loads of people don't like it. I'm like, no, look, if, if, if you carry on this way, we're not going to get promoted and I can't, I'm not having another year outside the top flight. Like I've, I've wasted enough time this year. I've been playing in the Champions League this fucking summer and I'm putting scrapping about in League One with you. And like, I, I, it's wasted time. So I'm not having, oh, we'll wait till next year because there might be a next year. So let's get your fucking finger out now and get cracking. So he's like, well, what's going on? I said, your coaches are in that. They don't even like it. Nobody likes you. I said, so you've got nothing to lose. What have you got to lose? Because you're about to get the sack. You're a week, two, three weeks away from the sack. You've got nothing to lose. So why don't we try something different and we'll see what happens? So he's gone, yeah, all right. But it was like, a, he wasn't really down for it. I don't think anyone's ever told him the truth like that. But, you know, I'd made him a promise that if you give me a chance, I'd be, I'd be fucking straight up with him. And I was being straight up with him. Um, so Phil Beard, uh, the chief exec, was worried. He came to me. He's like, what's going on? What, the manager's lost the plot. I said, look, Phil, 
he has lost the plot. Um, players want him out. I said, no, you can't. The results are kind of showing that, but I'm telling you now, that's what's happening. But it's not the right thing to do. I said, I've met this guy here who worked with Johnny Wilkinson, who, who I've met in the last like 10 days before. I didn't even really know him that well. I said, but he's unbelievable. I think we should get him in. And we've got nothing to lose at this point. And the guy was Steve Black, um, who's the best in the world at what he does. Black, he's the best I've ever come across in any sport, any field. He's truly, truly elite level. And luckily, he was in between jobs and Blackie came in for the first couple of weeks. Harry didn't really buy into it. And by the end, he did. And it ultimately ended up in us getting over the line in that um, playoff final. Um, so it, it was incredible. It, was, it showed me that anything's possible in football. You can take a toxic club, a toxic dressing room, toxic atmosphere, and you can turn it into... I mean, in the end, in that playoff final, semi-final... We'd have died for each other. We we had such a bond, such a teamship. I mean, um, even with Harry, I mean, you know, I still respect Harry now because most managers wouldn't have had the 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 strength of character to accept what they were being told was happening and adjust course. Most would have gone down with the ship and and took their ego and and drove it into the ground. And to be fair to him, I think that's why he was a good manager. You know, he's adaptable and he's gone. Okay, that's not working. I'm going to try something else. And you know. That, that is a huge skill set, certainly as a young manager now. I'm like, okay, would I have been capable of doing that? I don't think I wouldn't. Maybe that is what true man management and true leadership is, is, is listening to your, to your generals and listening to your troops from time to time about what is the correct course of action. And for me, um, if Harry hadn't put his ego to one side and then he hadn't allowed Blackie to come in amongst other things, then there's no way that group would have got promoted. So, you know, realistically, he stepped out of his own way and ultimately got the job done. So that, that, for me, is good management. It doesn't have to be you doing everything. If, if you're smart enough to, to allow other people to step in and, and get the job done, then, then for me, that's as good as management as any as well. So I have to give them enormous credit for that. Um, obviously, the year next year in the, in the Premier League, we were massively, um, massively um, behind the curve because we had a terrible summer, recruited poorly. There was no real money there by the looks of it. You know, the, the, the getting into the Premier League probably stopped the club from going into administration, but didn't allow them to have the financial power that they maybe had the, a couple of years before, and, and the money was, in, in essence, uh, wasted um, on, on many, many extravagant signings who, who didn't work out. People will probably label that at me, but, you know, you think your bossing was Chris Sambers, Julio uh, mm-hmm. Sanders, I mean, to name but a few, Jason Park, you know, some great players who you know, just struggled to, to buy into it. And I can understand that because I was a player who came from Newcastle and really, really struggled. So I can't imagine if you were coming from Manchester United or Chelsea to, to that QPR thing because they are truly, you know, championship, Premier League winning top level, European Champions League level clubs. And QPR at that point, infrastructure-wise, was was probably, well, Fleetwood, Fleetwood now. Um, a miles ahead of where QPR was then, and they were in the Premier League and we're in League One. My, I mean, and I mean, literally miles away. We are miles ahead of them in terms of infrastructure. In terms of Harry Redknapp at that time, do you just had he just given up? And you mentioned the recent post. People that say about Harry, he's a he's a great man manager, but he doesn't coach at all. Is that the the, the experience? Yeah. Well, look, at, so, all managers are different. They all have a different skill set. You know, some are coaches. Some are on the training ground every day. Others aren't. You know, Warnock's not a coach. Warnock. Only way make, make Neil Warnock a coach is 
take his his teeth out of his mouth and put two two bus seats in. It's the only way he becomes a coach. Um, and the the reality of it is, you know, Harry's a, a, an old school manager. He he's a manager, not a coach. And you know, he he believes or a huge part of his thing is signing the right players, putting them together, and then them taking care of of the team and and, and the managers there to bring better players in or upskill the players and obviously make sure that it's harmonious and that there's a good spirit in there. And look, at the end of the day, when you look at what he did, the Tottenham Champions League, that in the, the, the Milan game, the Gareth Bale, Modric and team, that you know, they, they were a good side. He, he created a good side there. West Ham, he done unbelievable at West Ham. And you can't knock his results as a manager to the point where, you know, I think he was everybody's choice to be the next England manager. And it was only the, the inland revenue thing where his dog had been signing checks. I think that that's that stopped him from becoming um, an England manager. So he went from potential England manager, which is the pinnacle for, or was the pinnacle for that generation of managers, Tottenham in the Champions League to a shit show at QPR, you know, about to get relegated, then relegated, then oh. So you can imagine he's been working with Gareth. I always laugh when we had, we had the Zoom chat the other day, which it's, I've only just started using this, but it was me, Hyder uh, Helgerson, Jay Mackey, Brad Orr, Sean Derry. And we were just laughing about the old days. And we had a couple of beers because you can't go out and socialise now. So you have to have a couple of beers in the house and meet all your mates on Zoom or house party or whatever it is the kids are using now. They, they're the nights out. And uh, we, had, we said, we'll get together. We'll have a good pint. We've been saying we're going to go for a reunion, you know, the QPR lads, because we had some good, there was some good men in there, some good lads. And, and they, them bonds were strengthened through the chaos of the club. And as I say, anyone, anyone who's listened to this podcast who hasn't watched the, the four-year plan, get on uh, Amazon Prime and watch it. I mean, that was before we turned up. I mean, it's genuinely insane. It's <laughs> insane. I mean, I, but, but a lot of them lads were there for that. Do you know what I mean, Callum? A lot of them lads were... I'd been like Hyde Helgerson came through all of that, and he was like, So, when you speak to H about it, and you'd be a great one to get on your podcast, honestly. When you speak to him, he's just like, You can't imagine how, how insane it was. He said, Don't forget, Bria Tori and that crew signed off on that film going public. So, imagine what they kept out of it that never made it into the final cut because you can't believe it made it in. So, imagine what got kept out of that. Um, the edit, the, if you'd ever got that, you'd, you'd have gold dust. So w- we came into that into that club. Harry's gone from Spurs, you know, to, to, to QPR, which infrastructure-wise must have blown his mind, from potential England manager to QPR. And he's got to deal with all these. And, and, and I, think, I think he got a little bit disheartened by it. You know, when you're working with Modric and Bale, and then all of a sudden you're working with... And was, this is what I was saying on the Zoom call. I was saying, fucking hell, because they were talking about Harry. And I went, you've got to think he was working with some of the best of the best. And then he went to work with you, shout a shite. <laughs> I didn't include myself in that. Didn't include myself in that. But we were laughing like, um, we always said hi there. It was a great match player. H is a great match player. But in training during the week, he's the worst player I've ever seen. You wouldn't even think he was a professional footballer. You wouldn't, if you've seen him Monday to Friday, you'd say, this is one of the. This is some fella off a building site who's just joining in, having a game of footy. Get out! But on a match day, he come alive like he was a good match day player. And there was a few. Andy Carroll was like that. I played with a few like that who were absolutely hopeless Monday to Friday, and then brilliant on a Saturday. But then there was loads who were brilliant Monday to Friday and shite on a Saturday once you put the crowd in. 
Do you know what I mean? They, they, we, we call them in football midweek internationals. You know, they're, they're the best player in today and they get on the ball, they score all the goals. Put a crowd in the stadium on a Saturday, you can't fucking find them. Um, so H was one of them and I was saying to H on the thing, I said, you know, he's gone from working with uh, Modric and, and Gareth Bale to, to seeing you Monday to Friday. <laughs> couldn't even tie your shoelaces. You couldn't, you, you'd just fallen over the ball and everything. Said no wonder he was demotivated. So just having a good laugh about it. But, but in, in hindsight, Callum, he probably was. You know, he'd, he'd gone from almost the pinnacle Champions League. Or, see, have you seen that? That's cutting privets down in my gardener. Didn't get them when I played football. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it, it, you can understand it now as a manager looking back. I'm thinking if I was Spurs, Champions League, working with top players, nearly got the England job, and then you'd have to take that QPR job. At his age, you know, he was, he was in his late 60s. It, you know, he was looking at Alex Ferguson, similar age group, going, you know, he wouldn't catch Alex Ferguson doing that. And at one point, Harry was probably in, in that conversation as one of the top, you know, British, UK managers. He was certainly... At a, at a point for a few years considered, you know, a lot of football fans were the ones that had him managing their clubs. I mean, he was close to managing Newcastle a few times and probably a few other big clubs a, a, along that way. And then he ended up at QPR and obviously, you know, probably lost his, his way a little bit. And, 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 and then obviously we got it back going and then he, he quit the following January after the, well, the minute, I think he, he resigned the day after the transfer window had closed and we were up, we were up shit creek without a paddle anyway. And he, he never got back in the transfer market and then waited for the 1st of Feb and spewed it. And then Chris Ramsey came in. Um, it was a bit of, you know, Chris is a decent fella, but, you know, I, I knew, I knew the, the day we came back for pre-season after that playoff final, the first day back in, I, I said to Blackie, we're getting relegated. And he's like, well, I said, nah, nah. just the way they were, we'd signed players like Rio had signed. It was, way past it um, great lad great pro done everything right but for what we were asking him to do I mean it would have been tough for him to do when he was at his peak because when you play with great players you make the game a hell of a lot easier trust me when you play with players who aren't as good it, it, it's, it's a lot tougher no matter how good you think you are as a player um, and I think Rio had a, a, a you know you looked at him in the back end the man knew he was struggling with his athleticism which was a huge part of his game and then you, you brought him into QPR, asked him to play in the middle of a back three, which we'd never done. We were built on Richard Dunn and, and Illy, solid back four. Danny Simpson, you know, Nathan Manua, tough to break down. A lot of one-nils, getting promoted. A lot of dogging games out. So all of a sudden, we had the World Cup in Brazil. Um, every, Chile had played the back three under, uh, I think, Sampoli or Bielsa. Um, Louis van Aal took Holland to the final, playing a back three stroke, back five. It was more of a back five, if we're honest. But but so Harry had watched that in the summer, spoke to who he spoke to after the playoff final, came back. We're playing a back three. I'm signing Rio. He's going to play the middleman in the back three. And I'm just like, we're fucked. We're fucked. Um, you just knew. You, you just knew. You knew. It was such a mad decision. But he'd been influenced, and next minute he has Glenn Odlin sign a coach yet, and we were just miles away. Harry resigned February the 1st. Glenn follows him not long afterwards, and, and then the players are left to, to pick up the bits. So we, we made a valiant effort of going down with, with, with a bit of pride, and, but we were, we were, we were hum, hamstrung from pretty much the July-August phase when the club had not done the correct things uh, in recruitment and in securing the players that had... Um, 
that that could have helped us stay in the Premier League that next year. So that was a year for me where, you know, it was a tough year because you had to maintain your standard over the course of the year. I presumed um, I'd played re- as well as I could in a struggling team and I thought, I'm, I'm out of contract, they're not going to renew it because my money's too much for the championship, um, which was right. Les said to me, I'm not even going to make it an offer because there's no point. Um, so I knew my future lied elsewhere. And I thought, you know, I've done all right in the Prem this year. I've done well in the Champ last year. There'll be loads of people. And then there was no one. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and Shells will 